This is Mind Salad, a program of diverse weekly discussions about mental wellness with a rotating panel of licensed professional mental health counselors on a variety of mental health topics with guests and information to help you sort through life struggles. The information that is provided on this program is for informational purposes only and is not meant to treat or diagnose any mental health condition or be a substitute for therapy. This week, your host is Lexi Ellis from Into Freedom Counseling. Good morning and welcome to Mind Salad. This is a diverse discussion about mental wellness. This program will be rotating hosts with four different mental health counselors here in Colorado Springs, each of us with our own practices and our own unique experiences. My name is Lexi Ellis. I'm one of the four hosts. I am a licensed professional counselor and the owner of a small group counseling practice in Colorado Springs called Into Freedom Counseling. We serve a wide range of people in the community from kiddos to older adults with the majority of us specializing in work with teenagers and young adults. We currently have about 10 counselors at our location and we will continue to grow as the need for services grow. We are located on Austin Bluffs Parkway directly north of the Nursery Falon Gardens. With each of our shows we will be discussing a variety of topics related to mental health and sometimes we'll have guests. Today I am just going to be here talking about a subject that I am incredibly passionate about and that is working with teenagers and mental health. So this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. If you're listening to the very first show of Mind Salad, I shared a little bit about how my own experience as a teenager led me to eventually become a counselor. I was one of the teenagers who looked fine on the outside and nobody knew anything was really going on. Um, Even my best friends didn't really have an idea of what I was struggling with, but uh, Internally, I was incredibly um, depressed and, you know, started at a pretty early age, started acting out, um, which is, you know, something that parents most often bring their kids and teenagers in for these acting out behaviors. So I started doing that at a pretty early age, drinking and smoking. um, But, you know, those were symptoms of what I was really experiencing. So pretty significant depression, suicidal thoughts an eating disorder, just tons of different mental health issues. And so um, this, you know, all of my experiences collectively as a teenager really led me to a place where uh, as an adult, I wanted to be able to uh, use those experiences to help other teens who were really struggling and um, didn't really connect with anybody. You know, the teenage years are a really difficult, (laughs) uh, tumultuous, trying time in our lives. There's so much going on. We're trying to find our identities. We're trying to figure out who our friends are, what we like, what we don't like. We're trying to fit in. We're trying to stand out, all of these different things. And um, that is also a, a period of time where Um, you know, teenagers go through puberty, there's lots of changes to the body, there's lots of hormonal changes. And then you have the school pressures and uh, potential bullying. And so there's just so many compounding factors that can really um, lead somebody in, you know, the teenage years to be in a place where they're really struggling and experiencing depression. That's also a time when teenagers are trying to become their own independent people. And so it's especially difficult to ask for help when they're trying to distance themselves from adults and really feel like they can't connect to adults. So as an adult that 
you know, remembers what it was like to really struggle as a teenager. I hope to be able to sit with teens uh, in this place where they're struggling and really just see through some of the external behaviors that their parents are bringing them into counseling for. And um, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. But so although I am technically um, considered an old person, uh, I am I feel like I'm able to connect with teenagers uh maybe more so than um, some other clinicians, just because um, I'm able to see through some of that, um, some of those behaviors and try to get underneath the symptoms to what's really going on and hopefully be able to help uh, parents understand that those are just symptoms as well. So I wanna share some recent statistics about teenagers and mental health and uh, suicide deaths. Uh, you know, I tend to be a pretty visual person, and so sometimes numbers really helps people put things in perspective. Keep in mind that most statistics are a couple of years old because it takes, you know, a, a year or two to gather the data and then um, to, you know, kind of put it into terms that make sense. So uh, just keeping that in mind. According to the CDC, as of 2019, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. However, it is the second, or was in 2019, the second leading cause of death among adolescents ages 12 to 17. And that was in 2019, before the pandemic. Uh, Research is now starting to come out that is showing there is going to be a huge spike um, in numbers in suicide death losses, specifically for that age range. So um, I just saw an article a couple of days ago that says teenagers hospitalized for suspected suicide attempts saw a spike during COVID-19 lockdowns in 2021. And that between February 21 and March 20, female adolescents between 12 and 17 have been visiting the emergency room at nearly 51% higher than the same time frame in 2019. So, you know, a, a lot of numbers are gonna start coming out here in the next year. But what we know is that teenagers were already at a huge risk for for suicide death losses and experiencing severe depression. And so, you know, with with the pandemic, that is uh, unfortunately going to significantly increase. Also, in 2019, according to the CDC, most high school students uh, were at some point seriously considering attempting suicide or having some type of suicidal ideation. Colorado specifically has, uh, and there's been a lot of research about this, uh, and nobody has really come to any specific conclusions, but Colorado has a significantly higher number of suicides than most other states. We're not number one in the U.S. in terms of suicide death losses, but we're definitely in the top 10. So in 2019, around 1,200, almost 1,300 Coloradans lost their lives to suicide. This was a huge increase from the year before. So again, we can imagine what the numbers are going to look like in 2020. The suicide rate for Colorado young adults ages 19 to 24 is more than double that of Colorado youth ages 10 to 18. But this is really important because, um, you know, looking at the data, most uh, teenagers start to really struggle with mental health issues and experience suicidal ideation 
uh, between the ages of 10 to 18. And then um, they tend to act out on that, meaning attempting or completing suicide between the ages of 19 to 24. So really um, looking at preventative measures at, you know, a a younger age um, when they're in that, you know, they're still at home, they still have um, adults, you know, that are in their lives and they're not out on their own and trying to also transition into, you know, the quote unquote real world um, is really one of the best times to help, you know, teenagers um, get some help that they need. So looking at uh, suicide in Colorado, Students are, uh, who are likely to experience symptoms of depression report also having serious thoughts about suicide. Um, at least 46.3% of high school students in Colorado uh, seriously considered killing themselves in the previous year. And again, this, was, um, this is several years old. So this was in 2015. Females tend to struggle with suicidal thoughts uh, more than males and tend to attempt suicide um, at a significantly higher rate. So one in four females have either seriously considered attempting suicide or have attempted suicide. Black students are less likely to consider suicide at 11.2%, while multiracial students and native Hawaiian students are the most likely to consider suicide at 224 and 23%. Nearly 8% of all Colorado high schoolers attempted suicide at least once in the past 12 months. And again, this data is um, a couple of years old. That was in 2015. According to NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Health, 50% of all mental health issues begin around the age of 14. So going back to the earlier statistics that the ages 19 to 24 have the highest rate of suicide, but the issues tend to start around age 14. Um, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later, but 50% of mental health issues. So, you know, looking at that, if um, parents can get their teenagers into counseling during the high school years, there is a significant chance that they, you know, will have the ability to develop some coping skills and learn how to deal with life stressors prior to that transition age of 19 to 24. By the age of 24, 75% of mental health disorders will have started to impact daily life. So it starts fairly early. And then by the age of 24, if they have you know, have not attempted suicide or completed suicide, um, these mental health issues are really impacting their ability to function in life. So our practice at Into Freedom Counseling, we primarily work with teenagers and young adults and, you know, between the ages of 12 to, you know, 30, um, because they're just experiencing so many challenges, never having the ability to, you know, go to counseling as a child or a teenager. They never figured out how to have, you know, healthy coping skills, uh, especially for uh, teenagers who grew up in really dysfunctional households. And they were just trying to figure out how to survive and navigate that. And then they transition out of that environment on their own and they have no way to know what it looks like to function in, in daily life. So depression in young adults and youth often co-occurs with other disorders like substance use, anxiety, and, you know, misconduct, right, or disorderly behavior. So co-occurring means often if somebody is experiencing uh, significant depression or anxiety, those things will be externalized in their behavior. 
So it's going to start to look like um, with teenagers, them acting out, talking back, starting to engage in um, self-destructive behaviors. And we're going to talk about some key risk factors for suicide in a bit that that also um, are, you know, are very similar to what it looks like when um, a young adult is experiencing significant depression or anxiety. So what we know about those is that those are symptoms of deeper issues and they, they tend to look like something else. So often parents will bring their teenagers in, say something like, you know, he is starting to act out and grades are dropping and I don't know what's going on. Fix my kid, essentially. And so we have a conversation about the fact that it's it really, the child does not need fixing. Uh, they need help with some of the underlying issues. And so that's something that I'm continuously trying to provide um, some psychoeducation to not only teenagers, but also to parents. If there's a student, for instance, who comes in and has been a straight-A student for most of their lives, in the last year, their grades have dropped significantly. There's a reason for that, um, and it's not because they're being lazy. And so that's that tends to be uh, how parents see it. Um, because they don't really see some of the other stuff. So I talked about my experience of, you know, looking completely normal on the outside. And I was a fairly good student. Nobody knew what my internal struggles were. So teenagers can be really good at hiding what's going on for them. But eventually, their external behaviors are going to start to show signs of something going on. And often it looks like grades dropping, loss of motivation, isolation, not wanting to do things or, you know, being a really irritable or moody or talking back um, parents often look at that as you know their their child or their teenager just being difficult right and um, and so it's like here fix my kid I don't know what's going on but their grades are dropping so you know when I sit with the teenager I, I hear all of the external behaviors um, what's going on you know their grades are dropping they're isolating they're just really angry and we really get underneath all of that stuff and always what I find is that they're really struggling. They just um, are, are either having a difficult time at school with, you know, friends uh, or being bullied or feeling like an outcast um, or, you know, they're, they're isolated or uh, oftentimes they're having, they're, there's some difficulty at home. Um, there's some, some dysfunction with parents and parents are arguing and so um, teenagers don't feel like they have a safe place to go necessarily. So, you know, we really try to get underneath the, the behaviors, the problems that um, they're coming in for that we're supposed to be addressing. We, we look underneath those to see, um, you know, how we can really address what's going on for the teenager. And it tends to be really successful. So, you know, I, I highly encourage parents to to back off a little bit um, and just give a little bit of space to, you know, to allow their teen to kind of process through what they need to, to get their feet on solid ground. And then we can start working on trying to raise those grades. Then we can start working on trying to, you know, have their attitudes adjusted. Um, but those things are just, you know, kind of the symptoms of the other stuff. And so, we gotta we gotta look at what's what the what the wound is first before some of those other behaviors will get better. And something I hear oftentimes, um, and this 
tends to be with younger kids, but also with teenagers, is that parents come in, you know, a couple of months after I've started working with their kiddo, and they say, I don't know what's going on, but not only is this not working, but the behaviors are getting worse. And that is absolutely true. And I try to set realistic expectations that that is going to happen. And not only does it happen with kids and teenagers, it also happens with adults. So, you know, whatever those external behaviors are often get exacerbated as we're really pulling things apart and trying to look at what's going on um, before they get better. And, and that's just a part of the process. And so please try to be gentle and patient with the process, just like I tell adults. Um, it, it looks a little bit different because parents have an expectation that you know their child is going to go to therapy for two months and then they're going to be the most well-behaved children. And that's just not reality because everything is going to start coming out and it gets really messy. And then we figure out how to reorganize, um, how to identify emotions, how to reorganize those things, how to you know incorporate coping skills. Those things are part of the process, but not the very beginning of treatment. So just something to keep in mind. I want to talk about some key risk factors of suicide. So if there has been a recent or serious loss in uh, somebody's life, this might include the death of a family member, a friend, or a pet, believe it or not. Um, Pets really uh, mean a lot to people, especially, um, I don't want to say especially teenagers, but, uh, you know, looking at the pandemic um, with teenagers being locked away in their house for a year without being able to see friends at all in person um, and maybe um, sparsely, you know, online or via phone become very attached to their pets. And so that having a loss of a pet can be a huge deal. Another key risk factor is any um, prior suicide attempt. So if uh, somebody has previously attempted suicide in the past, they're at an increased risk for another suicide attempt in the future. Alcohol and other substance use. Uh, so as part of those acting out behaviors, maybe they started drinking or smoking or smoking pot, whatever substance they've used, um, that increases the risk of suicide because not only at this age are they illogical and unable to use their prefrontal cortex to make good decisions, but that increases um, or their ability to think rationally decreases uh, as they consume substances as well. If you are just joining us, this show is Mind Salad, a diverse discussion about mental wellness. My name is Lexi Ellis, and I'm the owner of a group counseling practice in Colorado Springs called Into Freedom Counseling. Today, we're talking about teenagers and mental health. And I am talking specifically right now about uh, risk factors for uh, suicide for teenagers. One huge risk factor is a lack of or perceived lack of social support. So a child who doesn't feel supported from any significant adult. Um, And and that part is really important because although at this age, peers are the most important thing in a child's life, they need to have at least one supportive adult who is has the ability to um, help them make good decisions to affirm you know, to affirm their good decisions, to help them, you know, build self-confidence and self-esteem. So at least one stable, supportive adult 
Uh, bullying is also another huge risk factor. So not only the victims of bullying, but also bullies themselves, because often what we know is that bullies or people who become bullies and bully other people um, are have been bullied themselves. And a lot of times that's happening at home. So, you know, they're experiencing uh, maybe abuse at home and then they bring it to school with them and externalize or act out those behaviors on somebody else. And so they are at a, an increased risk for suicidal behavior as well. Having access to lethal means like firearms and pills. So a lot of people have uh, firearms, uh, specifically you know, in Colorado Springs, um, and there's no judgment around that. Uh, but there definitely needs to be um, a place where those are stored and locked away where a teenager does not have access to them. because. Even if a teenager is not exhibiting these other behaviors necessarily, right? They're not externalizing these behaviors and drinking and smoking and you know acting out in those ways, they could still be struggling internally and nobody knows it. And they could have you know a temporary moment where um, the world feels like it's crashing down. And if they have access to a lethal mean, it just makes it that much easier for uh, for you know them to attempt suicide. And, you know, the thing about teenagers, if you remember being a teenager, is that everything feels like it's a crisis. Everything. Um, Something happens with a friend. So in addition to actual crises, everything feels really hard. Emotions are all over the place. There's mood swings. And so, you know, they could just be having a really bad day where, you know, their friends decided they didn't want to hang out with them at lunch. And it could feel like the end of the world or there was a breakup, right, the first heartbreak could feel like it's the end of the world, really, to a teenager. And so it's, you know, not to make fun of that or discount it at all, because that is their real lived experience in the moment. However, because of that mentality that everything is crashing down and the world is going to end, they're just naturally at a disadvantage. And then you have um, the stigma associated for asking for help. It's not cool to talk to adults at this age. It's not cool to tell your parents you're not okay. And a lot of times teenagers really don't feel like they can go to their parents and talk about their struggles. For whatever reason, they have a difficult relationship with their parents, they're arguing, they uh, they just don't feel like they are able to disclose what's going on with them because they might get in trouble. So not being able to ask for help and being in a state of crisis really lends itself to the perfect storm um, and having access to lethal means as well. So the other piece of pills, right? There, there's already a crisis in our nation of people becoming addicted to pain pills. And um, it, it typically starts during the teenage years. If there are pills laying around of any kind, they'll just take them especially if they have a disregard currently for their life. Teenagers are already, uh, you know, at risk of engaging in high-risk behaviors and doing crazy things, and they think that they're invincible, and so they'll just do whatever. Or if their friends, you know, come to school with a bottle, they might not even know what it is, and they'll just take it because they're dared to. So there's all these factors that play into that. Feeling guilt or shame, uh, feeling worthless, having low self-esteem. So especially, you know, going back to that guilt or shame piece, especially if a kid or a teenager is experiencing bullying, let's say, at school, they're being bullied, that is really difficult 
to talk to an adult about. It's embarrassing to say, you know, this kid is throwing me up against the wall or often, and actually today's society, it doesn't it doesn't really look like that anymore. It looks like uh, through social media, they're they're receiving text messages, they're they're getting Facebook messages, Instagram messages that are going to all their friends, and you know they're making fun of them. It's really embarrassing to you know bring that to an adult and say this is what's happening for me, and they also feel like they have no control over that, and that then lends itself to feeling worthless and having low self esteem. Another risk factor is having barriers to receiving services. So difficulty, um, you know, potentially having unreliable transportation, the financial cost of services. Counseling is not cheap. Parents sometimes have insurance that will cover it. Medicaid will cover counseling services if a family is low income. However, the piece that's difficult about that is that a teenager first has to go to their parents and say, I really feel like I need counseling or the parents have to go to the teenager and say, we need for you to go to counseling. It's very rare that a teen goes to the parents and says, this is something that I need. It's often the other way around. But even if that does happen, there there might be barriers to getting treatment. There has been a huge influx in the last year of teenagers uh, coming into my practice. And we're at the point where we're unable to um, take any more clients. And we just continue getting calls and emails, uh, you know, specifically for teenagers who are really struggling. And most of the time, as I mentioned before, it's parents coming in saying, my child's grades have dropped or something along those lines, not really having an understanding that in fact their teenager is suicidal and they haven't disclosed that to them. So having access to the barriers, um, one of the other pieces of that is that if, if there's dysfunction in the home, let's say there's abuse or there's just a lot of dysfunction, there's substance abuse, parents don't want their children to be in counseling because there's potential to expose what's going on in the home. And so teenagers are unable to receive what they need because not only are their parents not available to them, but they also are discouraging their child from talking to anybody for fear of letting out the family secrets, right? And um, another related part of that is that if somebody does come to counseling and we are um, informed that there is abuse going on in the home or something like that, we are required to report it. And there's potential then for a big blow up and for the children being removed. And so um, I see those things as barriers because a teenager who may really need help has to get their parent on board with bringing them in, potentially paying for the service. So when uh, when insurance doesn't pay for it and the parents are um, paying for it out of pocket, for instance, at any time they could say, we don't feel like it's worth it anymore. Um, we're not going to continue paying for this. And that's happened several times, uh, which is just incredibly heartbreaking to me because I know that their children really need to receive services, but I can't, I have no control over that. And so that tends to be a huge barrier. There are... Um, counselors in schools that can sometimes help with that. But to be honest, school counselors really don't do counseling. They they do more administrative type work. And so that is actually something that I'm really looking at trying to figure out how we can get into the schools as licensed counselors and just provide a safe place where teenagers don't need to have 
parental consent to be able to talk to somebody about something they need to. In the state of Colorado, teenagers can consent to their own treatment, actually. But the problem is that most of the time they can't get to treatment or they can't pay for treatment. And so even though that has been put in place and that's fantastic, there's still a lot of barriers to that actually happening. There are what we call some protective factors. Um, So we talked about risk factors for suicide. There's also some protective factors. So having strong connections, the stronger connections that kids and teenagers have, not only to their families, but to friends, to um, things like sports, people in the community, the less likely they are to go down that road of considering or attempting suicide partly because they feel like they have the support that they need and they can turn to people if they feel like they need to. Cultural and religious beliefs can also be a a huge protective factor. Um, So beliefs that really discourage suicide and self-harm and support self-preservation and support this uh, idea of community and connection. And then access to interventions like therapy, individual, group, family. There's so many different types of treatment. There's individual counseling. There's also group counseling. I love group counseling. I think it can be highly beneficial for teenagers to be in a group with other teenagers who are experiencing similar things. There's also family counseling. Um, there are some free groups that support you know, substance, uh, the, the discontinuation of substance use, so AA groups for teens and things like that that can be really helpful. So just really quick um, guideline for parents or any adults, really, uh, anytime you hear a kid, uh, a minor, or even an adult talking about wanting to um, not be here. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't even need to sound like I want to kill myself. Sometimes it sounds like I wish I wasn't here. I would be better off not being here. Everybody else would be better if I wasn't here. I just don't want to get out of bed. You know, things like that. That is a serious sign um, that there's something significant going on with that person. And it's also uh, pay attention to that. People tend to discount it. Oh, they didn't actually say they want to kill themselves, but that is them crying out for help. There is an amazing Colorado Crisis Service support line. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, You can call or text the number. It is 1-844-493-8255. Or you can text the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 38255. Again, they're available 24-7, Colorado Crisis Services. You don't have to be at the verge of killing yourself. If you just feel like you need some support, you can call at any time, kids or adults. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Mind Salad. This is a show that focuses on mental health issues from different perspectives. My name is Lexi Ellis, and I'm a counselor at Into Freedom Counseling. If you're looking for a counselor in Colorado Springs for your teenager, we have a few openings and currently accept Medicaid and Cigna as well as private pay. You can reach out to us through our website at IntoFreedomCounseling.com or IntoFreedomContact at gmail.com. Next week, your host on Mind Salad will be Yakita Renfro from New Beginnings Therapy. Until next time, remember that our journey is a about progress rather than perfection. You've been listening to Mind Salad, a discussion of mental wellness issues and topics with a rotating panel of mental health providers. Heard every Sunday at 1130 a.m. on KPPF and be sure to listen to the podcast on Podbean.
Into Freedom Counseling is a female and veteran-owned mental health counseling practice in Colorado Springs. They're in the business of helping people become the best version of themselves. They strive to offer clients a safe, private, non-judgmental space to talk, explore, and journey through the process of self-discovery and growth. Their compassionate group of clinicians provide services for adolescents and adults. To schedule a free consultation, call 719-755-4035 or go to IntoFreedomCounseling.com.